You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. Morning. There were a few mellow tunes playing there. Um, the message is not going to be mellow because I am, I am so excited uh, not just because of what's on the screen here, uh, as I recollect our uh, Christmas break journey. So let me ask you what, do you, what do you see on the screen? Just call it out. What do you see? Family. A family? Snow. Snow. <laughs> yeah? Okay, so what, what, you're right. It is a family, for those of you who didn't know. This is my claim to fame right here. Uh, <clears throat> I am uh, an elder in my life. I'm an elder in my family. Uh, I'm not only an elder, I am the eldest. Uh, so what else do you see? What would you say about this family? Just from looking at the picture. Tall, but they're happy. They're not uniformly tall, are they? Though there's a short guy in the back. Uh, what else would you say about this family? So... Some have hair, some don't, right? <laughs> we've, we've got, uh, we have men and women. Uh, <clears throat> we, we have some with hats, some not. What, what else would you say? Anything else about this family? And why are we starting out with this picture? Just because I like this. I'm going to leave it on the screen, the whole, me- no, I'm not. <laughs> we have some others, but, but, uh, yeah, the things I would point out is that there's, there's some differences. As my wife says, our children are so different. Well, yes, uh, they're different, uh, and they are happy, and, uh, and I'm their dad. And so what I, what I experience when I see this picture is what God is experiencing right now looking at this auditorium because he has made us a family. That's why I'm going to leave this up here, <laughs> because, like, okay, you guys can probably tell, you know, where these guys came from, how they all got into one family. Uh, <clears throat> some of them bear some resemblance to Leah and I. Uh, <clears throat> so how did we get into a family? How did, how did we wind up in a family where our Father looks at us with all the joy, the hope, the excitement, the peace that I get when I look at this picture. I have this picture everywhere. If I could, I have it everywhere because I'm, I, I live for this. I'm constantly reminded of this. This is like my number one thing. I hope these people you know, come to my funeral and say, yeah, he's our dad. And that's, that's how the Lord feels about us today. We are his thing. He's not off somewhere else in the universe thinking about us occasionally. No, we are his thing. We are, we are what makes his heart beat. We are what gives him joy. We are what gives him peace. All the hope that he has in us, that we read about in Ephesians 1 a couple weeks ago. That's, that's what I want to bring you into a little bit today as we look at how in the, how in the world did God 
blend together all of us that are so different into one family so that he could have this view of us. That's what we're going to look at here. A few other pictures I'll throw up here. Uh, <clears throat> one, this is Rembrandt's. This is Rembrandt's idea of what Paul looked like writing this letter. <laughs> and uh, on the right is a, is, a, is a picture of what it might have actually looked like. I think this is 2 Corinthians. Uh, I don't have an Ephesians, but I think this is, sec- as you can tell, this is 2 Corinthians. Uh, <laughs> you know, and the cool thing about this is, you know, I have letters. I have letters that my grandparents wrote. We have some letters that Leah's dad wrote from the war. And if we were to take those letters and copy them right now and then lose the originals, that's what this is. This copy was made within, within that uh, period of time from when the original was written, and we have a lot of those. So that's a whole study that if you'd like to get into, how did we get the Bible we have today? Fascinating, and you can go down as deep as you want to on that. Let's look at another picture here. So here's... So, so you may think this is Paul here on the right. This is what uh, Google Bard thought Paul looked like writing uh, the epistle. Uh, but uh, actually, it was wrong, as Bard sometimes is, because it was probably written by, uh, he probably dictated it, right? So it's probably a younger man, like the guy on the left, who, was, uh, who actually wrote what we're, what we're looking at today. And then there's uh, one other picture here. This is what... Uh, Google Bard thought that church in Ephesus might look like as uh, Paul's letter was being written. I thought, yeah, I can, I can see that uh, as they're, they're actually reading what we're going to look at today. All right, so you saw my wife there. She's not here, unfortunately, but my kids are. So if I say anything that needs to be corrected later, uh, because I'm going to talk about her in a minute here. We, so we've been married 28 years. We got engaged and we got our wedding set out six months uh, from our engagement. And I thought, oh, six, six months. So, of course, what we did was decide to memorize the book of Ephesians, right? Because it has six chapters. So I don't know if, you know, if, what we would have done if it had been like 24 months or whatever. We, <laughs> we'd had to <clears throat> get into uh, Jeremiah or something. Anyway, so we memorized Ephesians. And, and the passage that we... Uh, that we're going to look at was, was key to the formation of our relationship. And it's something that I've, I have come back to just constantly ever since as God has grown our marriage. And, <clears throat> and you're thinking, well, wait, in our group this week, we, we read this passage. J.D., I didn't see anything about marriage in there. No, but what we're going to see is how God chose, well, let's look at the problems that are solved in chapter 2 of Ephesians, because this is really, the book of Ephesians is, is amazing. It's, it is like a condensed version of Romans. Paul packed in so much theology in this book in as few sentences as possible. And, and Romans, and, and Ephesians 2, he talks about how the two major problems that exist in our world and have existed since the beginning were resolved. So um, here's, here's the first one. Here's the fir- first one. All right. <clears throat> Let's just look at these verses from Genesis. God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him. 
Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. What a perfect picture. Man and God in harmony. Man created in God's image to have a relationship with him. All right, what's the next verse say? Just a short time later, here's the description. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Hopefully you just had a sinking feeling in your gut. Because what happened? They lost it. They lost it. That precious vertical relationship with their creator was gone. And they were hiding. And that's the source of all the loneliness, frustration, despair, discouragement, anxiety, all of that that afflicts mankind is because of what happened between those two verses. So that's, fortunately, if you weren't here last week, uh, we looked at how God solved this problem. Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 10 is how God solved this problem. All right, let's look at, let's look at the problem that he solves in the second half of Ephesians 2. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he'd taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. That's unity. This is, this is where man and woman started off. This is two people who were one. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is as united as you can be. Two people. <clears throat> Short time later, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who gave me to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Moments later, what happened to that relationship? The man totally threw her under the bus, totally broken, totally two separate people who were not living in harmony. I feel like we, sh we should just have a moment of just feeling really horrible. <laughs> because you see what happened there in just, uh, just a short time. What was perfect, what we, what we all want, God gave man and woman. God gave Adam and Eve. And in just a short time, it was gone, lost, lost. And that explains every bit of strife between, between men, women, groups, nations. It's all explained by what happened between this first verse and the second verse. That's when man chose to go his own way. He lost the purpose. He lost the relationship. He forfeited the relationship that God had given him. Well, this week, we're going to look how God solved that problem. How God solved that problem. All right, let me, let me transition us here to the whole Jew and Gentile thing. Because if you read through this week, you saw a Jew and Gentile. Well, that's, that's what this is about. God harmonizing the relationship, restoring the relationship between Jew and Gentile. All right, how did we get from Adam and Eve 
to Jew and Gentile. Okay, let me give you a 90-second uh, <clears throat> history of the Old Testament. So if you were God and you wanted to, <clears throat> and you wanted to reveal yourself to your creation, how would you do it? How would you do it? Okay, uh, <clears throat> that sounds like an essay that you would have to write for, uh, for a class. Uh, so you would, <clears throat> here's what God did. He decided to become one of us, right? He decided that to communicate and rebuild this relationship, he would, he would become one of us. Well, <clears throat> uh, and that's where the whole Jew and Gentile thing started because God didn't just zap down one day and say, here I am. You know, he, how, would you, how would you design a process where you could show up as a human being and be recognized and be authenticated, have people know it was you. Well, the way God chose to do it was the nation of Israel. He created a nation to set the context for his arrival because through that nation, he could communicate his character so people would know what to expect from this person when he showed up. He would communicate exactly what he would do. So through, through the process of predicting what would happen, people would go, oh yeah, you're the one. You're the one that we've heard about for thousands of years. Uh, <clears throat> so for those reasons and whatever else God had in mind, he created the nation of Israel. And so right away, <clears throat> right away that, that set up what we're going to see in this, in this chapter, which is which is an inherent conflict between Jews and Gentiles. And <clears throat> Gentiles, by the way, Gentiles, it's the same word for nations uh, that's translated nations sometimes. So it's just a non-Jew. And, <clears throat> and if you could solve this problem then that existed between Jew and Gentile, then you can solve any, any interpersonal relationship problem. As a matter of fact, he uses this as kind of the textbook case for how he solves relational problems. It's because this, this is the big one. This is makes, I started to say Hatfield, McCoy, uh, you know, you could say, uh, you could say, uh, you could say Israelis and Palestinians, you could substitute any two groups and their best of friends compared to Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile had such a history and so many ways of antagonizing each other. Uh, and so we're going <clears> to <throat> jump in. Uh, you know, I think it's interesting. There, there is a slide I'll throw up here for those of you that know what DEI stands for. Uh, because, man, ever since, ever since the, horizontal, the vertical and horizontal relationships were broken, mankind has... has come up with ways to, uh, to circumvent these or to repair or to patch over or to bridge this gap. And I think DEI is uh, probably reflective of one of those in terms of bringing disparate groups together. Uh, and I just like this definition. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the diversity is the presence of differences within a given setting. Um, all right, uh, equity, it's the process of ensuring that practices and programs are impartial. 
And inclusion is the practice of ensuring that people feel a sense of belonging in the workplace. Well, DEI is hard. Uh, any of you that have been involved with that part of an organization know that this is very challenging to bring diversity, equity, and inclusion into a group of people because of what we saw in Genesis. Because there's inherent now between human beings in families and in groups, there's an inherent enmity, animosity. We'll see how that's mirrored in uh, the Jew and Gentile relationship. So if I were going to give a clickbait title to this match, I'd call it The One Secret to Achieving DEI. Uh, <laughs> click, what's that about? Wait, Ephesians 2. So God bridged, and, and let me put Ephesians 2 in context of the, of the New Testament. God bridged the gap between individuals and groups, and he bridged it spiritually. We're going to see how he did it spiritually in Ephesians 2. We're going to see in Ephesians 4 later on after spring break how that is put into practice. So hopefully today we'll form a lot of questions like, well, yeah, that's interesting. How do we actually do that? Well, the way Ephesians is laid out uh, that Nick's referred to is, is the first half is, is positional truths. And the second half of Ephesians is practical truths. It's, it's, it's wonderful. I like to think of it this way. The first three chapters of Ephesians are like when you go to the, when, when you go and gas up, or if you're in an EV, when you charge up. So this is, this is the fuel. This is, this is what puts the energy in our tanks so that in the second half of Ephesians, when we hit the road, the journey begins, we're going down the road, putting this into practice, we have the fuel. We have the motivation, we have the drive, we have the truth that sustains us on the road. And I like that metaphor. It's not inspired, so I'm sure it'll break down. But <clears throat> the, you know, in, once, we, once we go through Ephesians 4 and 5 into very practical, how does this spell out between employees and employers? How does it spell out between husbands and wives, between dads and their kids? When we get into the nitty-gritty and it, we go, well... Whoa, that's just really hard. That sounds impossible. Uh, I have failed. Uh, remember, we'll flip back and we'll look in the first three chapters of Ephesians to see the truth, the position, the power, what God put in us to enable us to move down the road once we start that in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 that we'll look at after spring break. So... Ephesians 2, he solved it spiritually. Ephesians 4, uh, he solved it practically. Uh, he solved it historically, um, Acts 10. I, so if you haven't read Acts 10 yet, this is, this is where Ephesians 2 was true. All of the truth was in place, but you still had the history of Israel not getting along with the Jews. So... <clears throat> Quick version, Peter falls asleep waiting for dinner. So next time you're waiting for dinner, by the way, don't get upset. Listen to what God might be saying. Because God healed historically this giant chasm while somebody was waiting for dinner. Now, I'm not, you know, if you're cooking, still get it done as fast as you can. But don't worry. You know, God used a delayed dinner to join 
the, the uh, Jews and Gentiles, and Peter saw the vision of a sheet let down from heaven with, with all kinds of things. God directed him to a house of uh, a Gentile believer. He shared the gospel. The Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles just as he did at Pentecost, and that became, that became the example in the textbook case uh, that God was, God was accepting the Gentiles just as he had the Jews um, by grace. Then I said administratively this problem got solved. Uh, like, so how are we going to do this in the church when we got Jews and Gentiles? So this is the whole Acts 15, uh, which we went through back last year when we were going through Acts, uh, where the leaders got together and decided, you know, how are we going to, they have just, just separate theologies, practices, you know, what are we going to do to make sure that we're united? All right. <clears throat> so here's the way that I want you to think about this. Uh, because we're not going to get through the whole chapter because we got other stuff to do this morning. So I'm just going to stop when my time runs out. But <laughs> so here's the, way, here's the way that you can think about it. Uh, go with the flow. Now, I know that expression doesn't always mean, uh, you know, something good. But in this case, here's, here's the flow of, of Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, the first 10 verses were, was then. Then you were lost. Then you were under condemnation, ruled by the prince of the power of the air, but God, being rich in mercy, put you somewhere else, right? And so the result of that is that now we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. And, and what happens if you like, I don't feel like his workmanship today. Go back and do it over again. Start, oh, I was here, and God moved me over here. Because we have to go through, I go through that process every morning. I'm not a morning person. Sorry if you are. The, uh, and so the same thing happens in Ephesians 2. Then you, were, then you were separate, all those things. But then we'll see what God did in Christ so that now we are one body. And this is, I go through this. I go through this with my family. I go through this with people at work. I go through this with you all. This is, this is the process that we go through when we sense that, hey, my relationship is broken. Something is not right here. All right. Where did they start out? They were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision. That's just the Jews talking smack to the Gentiles. This is David saying, who is that uncircumcised Philistine? who taunts the armies of the living God. So they, they use this just to deprecate the Gentiles. Uh, and David did more than deprecate Goliath, of course. Uh, and <clears throat> so <clears throat> the, the Gentiles were in a bad way. They were separate from Christ. They, they had no Messiah. They didn't have all the promises. They were excluded from the nation of Israel, which was of uh, benefit. Nation of Israel, you're, you're healthier, you're, you're more cared for. They didn't have any of that. Uh, the Jews, be, because of the ordinances and laws, uh, their lives were better. And uh, the Gentiles did not experience that. Strangers to the covenants of promise. So um, 
they, the covenant with, uh, with Israel for, for someone being on the throne of David and all of that, they were, they were strangers to that. They had no hope and without God. Um, they didn't know what would happen when they died. They had no promise of eternal life. Uh, they didn't have the promise of uh, even the promises that we see in Psalms of uh, life everlasting. So they were far off, and they've been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. And so what does that mean, that he is our peace? So he, he breaks this down in a couple sentences. The two groups are now one. So the... Uh, and what is, how, how did he accomplish that? How did he accomplish making these two groups one? Well, the dividing wall is broken down. Uh, and there's a, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think it's a kind of interesting. There was a message on this wall that divided the nations, that divided where the nations could come and Israel in the temple. And this was the message. Let no one of other nation come within the fence and bury you around the holy place. Whoever is caught doing so will himself be responsible for the fact that his death will ensue, uh, which is just, a, I guess, a polite Hebrew way of saying, we're going to kill you if you come over here. Uh, that wall, which was a physical uh, reminder of the separation, was broken down. The enmity is abolished. So... What was this whole enmity between them? It says it was the law of commandments, which caused, which caused enmity in a couple ways. One, that the Jews had it, and they taunted others. If you ever feel like you've got something and someone else doesn't have it, and uh, that can create an enmity. It can also be that just the law, uh, which is good in itself, but it fuels in us all kinds of uh, bad things. Uh, all kinds of anger, hatred, uh, all, all of the turmoil in relationships can be fueled by uh, God's command to don't do that because that's the way sin works. God says, don't do it, and we say, well, yeah, I'm going to do it, uh, just like Adam and Eve. So he abolished that enmity, and then he reconciled both to God. And so He's the reconciliator. It's only in Christ that we are brought from our position far away to God. And because both, both were reconciled in him, he is our peace. It says in verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. When Jesus appeared to the disciples, his first word after he rose, what was his first word? You could guess, peace. <laughs> yes, his first word was peace. And then as though they weren't listening, it says in John, then he said again, peace. <laughs> so... Uh, <clears throat> That was what he brought, and I love verse 18 uh, because it, it shows the work of the Trinity in our relationship with God because it says, for through him, Christ, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So <clears throat> that's a uniting factor. 
verse 19 says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So this is where it says that we are family. We are citizens, meaning that we are all, we are all citizens of the kingdom of God. Uh, our passport um, will not expire for that. Uh, <clears throat> we are of his family. And it's, and it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That's where the truth came from. That's where Ephesians 2 came from. And, of course, Christ is the cornerstone. And if you like to have a picture in your mind of what a cornerstone is, so scholars disagree, so you can pick your, pick your cornerstone-ish thing here. You know, some cornerstones are like on the corner of a building on the bottom, so clearly the weight is all resting there, plus the two walls are joined Cornerstone could also mean capstone, uh, which is the, in, a, in an arch, it's the stone that put at the top that both sides lean into. Uh, oh, that's called the keystone, because the capstone then is what's on top of a pyramid that has a special shape and it's the most elevated. So Christ is all those things. Christ is all those things. All right, <clears throat> let's look at our last few verses. In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Now, what word did I just say twice in there? Oh, yeah, it's small. You might not be able to read it. Okay. Together. together. That's right. Together. Because in the New Testament, there is no concept of an individual believer growing independently. It's just not there. We grow, we grow by being connected with the body of Christ. So all of God dwells in you. You have his spirit. But because all of God dwells in David Ross then and David Null, because... <laughs> Because all, I just wanted to go around and name all the names. Uh, because all of God lives in you. When we are together, he says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. He's the one in Revelation that walks among the, set, the golden lampstands amongst the churches. God is present in us as a body in a different way than he is in me by myself. I can't explain that. He just said it right here, though. It's as, it's as we grow together that we become more like Christ and that God is glorified in us. That God is glorified in us. And here, the Trinity works together in whom, it says, in Christ you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So, Jesus is our peace. We are all in God's family. And together, we are God's dwelling place on earth. And right now, when God looks at us, he 
he feels like I do when I look at this. Let's pray.